You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dunn. That's right. You're tuned in to another overstuffed edition of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Chad Dundas from ESPN.com, and we are joined, as always, by your other co-host from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, Ben Folks. Ben, it's it's the week after Thanksgiving. How are you? What are you implying? I just want to know how your holiday was. You seem like you're trying to say that I had a shitty holiday or something. I know. That's not what I was trying to imply at all, but now that you've said that... It Everything was fine. Belief. It went fine. Seems just Why? seems like you're being a little Stop bit asking questions. Seems like you're being a little bit overly defensive about this whole Thanksgiving no. thing. Oh, no, it's fine. See, so you and your wife sat up here alone by yourselves and drank scotch and ate pie, or well, she's pregnant, so I drank scotch and ate pie, and she stuck to beer. <laughs> she she stuck to some white wine spritzers because you know we want our daughter to go to a good school, right? Uh, but. Uh, yeah, you know, made a nice little meal. The good thing about having a pregnant wife pretty far along is that it kind of just excuses you from even the question of whether you will travel to visit uh, either one of your families. Uh, just she can't even get on a plane now. So we don't even have to deal with that. Thanksgiving and Christmas are kind of taken care of. Well, she could get on a plane if she wanted to. Could she? Oh, yeah. They just say you're not supposed to fly. It's not like a rule that you can't. Well, I, don't, I mean, when they say, like, you're not supposed to fly, I usually kind of take them at their word on that stuff. Well, they say you're not supposed to fly because the airlines don't want to deal with you having a baby while you're on their plane. Nor, nor do I. Nor do I want to deal with that. I'm just saying, if you wanted to go visit... Why are you trying to fuck this up? I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't plan it I got a good way. thing here. Yeah, no, you're right. It's just stay home. Stay grounded. Yeah. Stay grounded. Uh, this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast, as usual, comes in three rounds. In round number one, the lineup for Strike Force's final show is falling apart before it even gets a chance to get going. And I know that this is just an audio podcast, but if you could see us right now, you would see our totally surprised faces. Mm-hmm. In round number two, UFC bantamweight Nick Denis announced his retirement this week from the sport, citing his concerns over concussions and brain trauma, and honestly... It's pretty hard to fault his logic. Nope. And Can't in, do it. in round number three, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're as we so often do in round three on this podcast, we're just going to stretch our legs a little bit, take a step back. We got some interesting correspondence this week that uh, we're going to read from, and, and we're going to try to take a look at the perception of the sport from the outside looking in. People it, know how we do in round three. That's when we, we get into the, the deep cuts, yeah. get all philosophical <laughs> exactly up in this how bitch. I describe it, yeah. deep cuts. You know, all that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But before we go any further, we have what I consider to be a fairly exciting announcement on this week of the co-main event podcast. And that is that we would like to let you all know about the first ever meeting of the co-main event book club. And that is going to be coming up uh, probably towards the end of the year. I don't know if we want to put an exact date on it at this point. I mean, I think you're underselling it. It's really goddamn exciting. Maybe the, the most exciting announcement since the co-main event essay contest. Well, and the thing that we're most excited about is that it has recently come to our attention that one David Lee Tank Abbott has mm-hmm. published the first part, the first leg in a three-part series. A trilogy. A trilogy. A goddamn trilogy. Uh, which I believe the, t- the overall title of the trilogy is the Before There Were Rules trilogy. 
I mean, you're already hooked, aren't you? Yeah. the The title of the first book is Bar Brawler. It is and available. It's, it's yes, it's a novel. It's a, it's fiction. It's a fictional account. Uh, it's it's available on Amazon, or I think you can get it from the website that actually published the book, quote unquote, published the book. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll get you that information. Um, so, so you can join in, but I guess the, uh, the theory behind the co-main event book club is that we're all going to read the book. Right. Well, you and I, Ben and I are going to read the book. Well, ideally the readers or the listeners will read along with it so that we all can, you know, be, be in on it together once we gather yeah. around to so discuss for, it. For anybody that wants to take part in it, buy the book. You get to put some money in Tank Abbott's pocket, which I think we are all looking forward yeah, to Yeah, you doing. know he's going to spend it responsibly. Buy the book, read the book, send us any comments, just as you would listener mail. Yeah, only then, this time you don't have to do it under the pretense of asking a question. Right, You can yeah. just put your comments and, uh, and mail it on in. Send us your comments about Bar Brawler by Tank Abbott. And then when the co-main event book club meets sometime toward the end of the year, we'll discuss our thoughts about the about the book and we'll read your thoughts. Might and, even uh, uh, might even have the world's foremost theatricalist or Nigel Longstock come in and do a, a dramatic reading of some of our favorite segments. That's definitely going to happen. We're, so, yeah, it's, it seems fun. It seems like a great time. And we hope that many of you out there choose to join us at the Jen, first co-main event book club. Here's my main concern. OK, if I go on Amazon and I buy, say, the Kindle edition, assuming there is one, of Bar Brawler by David Lee Tank Abbott. What is this going to do to the suggestions that Amazon shows me in the future? Oh, I think you're really going to like it. I think it's going to set you on a path, a literary path that, that perhaps before you had not contemplated or envisioned for yourself. I just feel like, you know, when I get on Amazon, I don't need it trying to sell me weightlifting gloves and shit. Or do you? <laughs> Maybe I do. I don't. I guess we'll find out. Well, let me tell you, I have read already the sample first chapter available for for Bar Brawler, and wow, it <laughs> is incredible. It is going to be a wild ride. I yeah? can tell just from the first chapter. I assume it's a good five, six hundred pages long, right? The book itself yeah. claims to be three hundred pages. <laughs> it claims to be, huh? So we'll see how that goes uh, once we get it off off Amazon. God, I'm psyched. Uh, but for right now. Uh, Listener mail. As Listener mail. As usual, we solicit some questions, comments, and concerns from you, the co-main event podcast listener, and uh, we read a selection of the best each week on the week on the podcast. And this week, the first piece of listener mail comes from Whipper Will, and he writes, maybe not his real name. I don't think so. No. Okay. Uh, he writes, "What is the point of having weight classes only to subvert them with super fights? Shit." Let's put Jose Aldo against Junior Dos Santos. Both those guys have otherworldly physical talent. Wait, how about a whole card made up of super fights? Let's put Bruce Lee's skeleton against Kung Lee. Shit, that'll draw the Asian crowd. Oh, wait, how about Chuck Liddell versus Don Fry for the old dude demographic? My point, I, like Chad, so I, I got a name name checked in this. Yeah, in your own podcast. Way to yeah, go. Positively, which is a switch. Uh, I, like Chad, don't really care about watching a 185-pound GSP get picked to pieces by 220 pounds out Anderson Silva. Just like Silva doesn't want to fight John Jones, GSP doesn't want to fight Silva. The UFC is a for-profit business to be sure, but something feels icky about these fights that are clearly intended to pad the bank account rather than testing two equally matched guys. I used to buy the pay-per-views once every six months, 
Now I'm finding that I'm losing interest in anime. Do you guys feel the same undertone? Too many cards, too focused on profit rather than the actual product? I feel like things went in a, uh, they kind of veered in a different direction there toward the end. It's not the world's most focused question. I will give you that. <laughs> okay, but let's stick with the, you know, hey, why even have weight classes if we're going to do the super fights kind of general theme? Because it seems like you hear this a lot recently, um, which in principle, yeah, like I agree with that. And I can understand why GSP is not super excited about the idea of having to fight a bigger guy because that is why we have weight classes because you want to prove that you're the best guy at 170 pounds you don't want to be you know coerced into fighting a bigger guy at the same time i also understand that yeah people want to see this because once anytime we get you know two guys who seem to be both at the height of their powers and they're at least close enough in weight you know we want to see them thrown into the same pit together to see what the hell's going to happen it's like you know like if you had a pet grizzly and a pet mountain lion yeah they shouldn't they shouldn't be fighting each other they should they should leave each other alone but man you're gonna make them fight sooner or later <laughs> wait what sooner or later you're gonna make that grizzly and that mountain lion fight wow that makes me feel terrible for the pets you guys have around here it's a multi-pet household well, i don't have to make those pets fight oh they just do it on their yeah, own yeah it's all i can do to keep them from killing each other yeah, I'm a uh, I'm a pretty big fan of the weight class scene. Um, I feel like, especially at the at the highest level of the sport, one of the things that I like as a fan is the sort of narrative that that provides. I like the idea that you know a guy works his way up, and that there's some kind of like cohesive linear story to be told in terms of like the championship scene and 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 guys becoming number one contender, fighting the champion, um, and that's true to a certain extent in in super fights. And when I feel like they are going to be competitive, I'm not against them per se. Like, I, I actually really want to watch uh, Jose Aldo fight Frankie Edgar because I think that's a great fight. And I think that those guys are, um, you know, close enough to the same size that it's going to be competitive and, and a fair fight. Uh, the thing that I was talking about last week when I talked about George St. Pierre and Anderson Silva is that I just I really don't think it's going to be that competitive. And you know what? Maybe it'll turn out that I'm wrong and that GSP really makes a go of it and, and it'll turn out to be awesome. But well, uh, but I mean, it's like, what if Anderson Silva could make 170? I don't think that's totally out of the question that he could possibly do that. At that point, then you have to abandon all arguments about why you shouldn't do this fight? Um, Maybe. I, but I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think that there's a chance. I don't chance. think he'll do it if he doesn't have to. But I, like if somebody told him, hey, you know, you're going to make a ton of money on this. You really want this fight. This is the only way you can do it. Uh, I don't think it would be completely out of the question for him to fight down there. I mean, he's, he's fought down there before. Yeah, I suppose if he was going to be a full-time member of the welterweight division moving forward after that, I mean, that would certainly give it a lot more. That would certainly give me a lot more to go on in terms of interest. Uh, but I just don't see that happening. I don't think that he would want to do that. And, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I didn't even know that was on the table. I know that GSP's camp wants him to yeah. come down, but I think that that is more over just a ploy to to sidestep the fight without yeah, appearing mostly. to sidestep the fight. All I'm saying is all you people are lying about saying you don't want to see it. I can understand how you think that it shouldn't. You shouldn't. GSP shouldn't have to do it. Um, and all the talk about it can get a little annoying. I got you. If they make that fight, you're going to watch it. Just shut up and admit that. You want to see it. I never said I wasn't going to watch it. You claimed not to be jacked. I'm not jacked, but that doesn't mean I won't watch it. I will watch it. I think it's a fine fight. 
let's put it this way. If I was going to be out of town and miss it, I wouldn't really be that concerned. I think they should put you your quotes on the the, the fight poster if they ever make it. It's a fine fight, Chad Dundas. It's a fine fight. <laughs> I, think I, I will really watch sell it. it. <laughs> yeah. I will watch it unless I'm out of town. Question number two this week comes from Kevin. He says, I like watching women's MMA. It's been great on Showtime, and I've seen two of the three Invicta shows. The problem is, I'm not sure I want to shell out 50 bucks for a pay-per-view padded or topped with women's fights. I want to see the best fighters in the world fight the best fighters in the world. Ronda Rousey is the best female 135-pound fighter in the world, but if she tried to tackle the men's 135-pound division, or even 125, she'd get chewed up. If women's MMA is so good, shouldn't it be able to sink or swim on its own, not on a card filled with men's fights? Now, this is another question that I would describe as not particularly focused. Right. But does bring up, first of all, the idea that because Ronda Rousey couldn't beat a 135-pound dude, because she couldn't beat Dominic Cruz, um, that, that therefore... It is bullshit to even watch her fight. Yeah, that's definitely the weirdest part. That is the weirdest question. part. But you know what's weirder are the is the number of people who seemingly propose that as an option. Like I assume in jest, but like <laughs> we get a certain amount of emails every week from people who want to propose Rousey versus Cruz. I've seen people talk about it on Twitter, and it is just bizarre to me. Well, no, it's not. I, I guess I get it. I understand why people say that because you also can't have a show or a live chat or anything without somebody eventually asking what would happen if the hosts were to fight. And I assume <laughs> that this that that urge comes from the same place that yeah. that it's just beyond this the audience of this sport to not make that suggestion. Yeah, that if, if any two people whose names come up in conversation, we have to talk about what would happen if they fought. Okay, fine. We are at you know. The lunch table in seventh grade, apparently. That's just how it goes. I can live with that. Uh, but the idea that it would somehow be, like, women's MMA would somehow be unfairly supported by being on the same card with men, I, I just don't get that. I don't see why it has to be, like, something where women's MMA has to succeed entirely only on women's only fight cards. I don't know. I mean... I feel like people will, would like to see some women's MMA mixed in with the men's MMA. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's one of the beauties of the of this, uh, kind of the beauty of the sport, really. I have liked the Invicta cards, and I, you know, I, I don't know if I would say I was surprised, but like, it's good to see from watching the Invicta cards that the all-female card can carry itself, in it my can. opinion. And it can be exciting, and it can be, you know, really worth watching. But what I think that... The real beauty of having women in the UFC or even in Strike Force is that they don't have to carry the whole show. And, you know, occasionally you'll see somebody dismissing women's MMA because they say, like, oh, you know, it's been proven uh, the, the American sports audience just doesn't like women's sports. And, you know, while that may be true to a point, I'm not sure how applicable it is to women's MMA because, for starters, it's just a completely different thing, I think. And it almost, you know, MMA almost appeals to a different audience, but... Uh, you know, more specifically, like they're not going to have to carry a whole pay-per-view. You can throw right. a Ronda Rousey fight on as the co-main event of a different fight that you know is going to sell and move numbers. And I think that that uh, is fine. I don't understand why that wouldn't be okay. Well, it's also like right now we hear a lot of people being worried about the lighter weight classes and their inability to draw or, you know, do big numbers on pay-per-view. Like, you know, hey, what about the flyweights or what about the, the bantamweights or something, you know? You can make that same argument, like, wait, shouldn't the shouldn't the flyweights have to succeed on their own? 
you know, shouldn't, why can't we do an all flyweight car? You know, it, no, we, we mix it up. That's one of the good things about tuning in to see an MMA fight card is it's not like boxing where you're showing up to see one fight. You're showing up to see a bunch of different kinds of fights uh, in different weight classes and across gender lines. I think that is awesome. I also think the argument that it's, you know, audiences don't like this thing therefore we're not even going to try it it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy at a certain point and you see it a lot from like people in you know even the mma media where they're like oh you know this isn't worth covering because people don't like it um and they won't read about it won't click on those stories therefore we won't cover it so then nobody will read about it because we're not giving them anything to read about and letting them hear about it therefore it just perpetuates the idea that nobody's into it and you don't know. I mean, give it a chance. I, I think that's the thing with women's MMA in the UFC. I think people are going to be more into it than a lot of people think. Give it a chance. And let's actually do the real division and not just have it be, you know, this beautiful fucking... All right, let's DS go on to the brother. third question. Uh, this question comes from Warren. This beautiful body. I wish you would stop bringing this that DS up. brother and this beautiful body. You know, it just gives me the shivers. <laughs> I love that. I love that about it so much. Third question this week comes from Warren, and he says, "Just sitting here watching the flick Planet Terror and drinking red wine, and <laughs> and <laughs> wondering if you guys think that the UFC will try to pull the reins on Nate Diaz a bit for his upcoming fight with Benson Henderson on Fox. I can't see the network being too happy with a guy flipping the double bird between rounds at his opponent. I fucking love it, but for some reason, I think Fox would frown on that shit. What do you guys think?" <laughs> I love uh, this question. I know. I, uh, you might even say another question that's maybe not that focused. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I remember when the first Fox show, the Junior Dos Santos, Cain uh, Velasquez fight w- was going to happen. And, and there was some debate about whether that was the right fight to throw out there. And, and we, we were sitting around talking. I think you were there. I was talking with some people and I floated the idea, you know, what would be a great fight to, to, to put on a live Fox show would be George St. Pierre, Nick Diaz. Cause I think that would really sell. And that was at the time that we were talking about that fight. Uh, and people just looked at me like I was fucking crazy. <laughs> and they were like, seriously, first broadcast on Fox. You want to put Nick Diaz on a live show? And that's a fair point. But Nate Diaz He's the reasonable Diaz. Yeah, he's far and away the most responsible Diaz brother that we know of. He's the one who you call when you need to find out where Nick is. Like where Nick doesn't show for a, a press conference or a conference call or something. You, you can call Nate, you, you know, and have, tell Nate like, hey, go knock on Nick's door and wake him up. Yeah. In fact, if you ever get the chance to see both Diaz brothers in a public setting, you should pay attention to sort of watch Nate direct traffic with Nick. I remember it happened at the BJ Penn weigh-in where it kind of looked like Nick Diaz had never been to a UFC weigh-in before because they they came out there in their jeans and their work work boots. boots and jeans, yeah. And, you know, once they had stripped down, like... uh, Which took like five minutes. Took five, ten minutes. Nate had to be like, okay, now you have to stand here. You get on the scale. And then, like, after Nick had weighed in, it seemed like he just wanted to leave. And Nate was like, no, you can't do that. You have to go do this stare-down thing. And so it's interesting to watch those guys interact. But you're right. Nate Diaz, far and away the more reasonable and responsible Diaz brother. So maybe we're not quite as worried about him in this Fox setting, even though... He's a guy that'll flex the guns and shoot the double bird at yeah. a moment's notice he, himself. He, he will get caught up in the moment like that. We've seen it in a couple of different fights. But I feel like at least with him, you can, you can tell him before he goes out there a few times, like, hey, look, this is network TV and it's live. 
let's kind of let's either either we're showing all five fingers or we're making a fist okay nate that's what we're doing those are options five fingers fist five fingers fist you know and he could be you can be pretty reasonably assured that he's hearing you he's processing that information and he's gonna at least try to to listen to you you know there's no guarantees but i feel like you're you're in better hands with nate and he's still as exciting as all hell to watch. Yeah. Suffice to say that they're probably going to have this one on a delay. Maybe a five-second delay or yeah, something like just that. Just a, a double bird delay. That's enough time. Anyway, that's listener mail for this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern you would like to voice on future episodes of the show, you can hit us up by going to the website, comaineventpodcast.com. Click the link at the top right-hand corner of the page that says email the podcast and that will get you in touch with us as for right now though we're going to keep it rolling and we are going to go ahead and move on to round number one round one ben i suppose it is karmically fitting in the world of strike force that the promotion's final event titled strike force champions currently has an issue where its champions are dropping like flies. We've seen Gilbert Melendez and Luke Rockhold both pull out of this event with lingering injuries, which were, interestingly enough, the same injuries that caused them to pull out of their last fights, Melendez with his shoulder and Rockhold with his wrist. Now, before we get too into some conspiracy talk here, let's uh, just state for the record that we have no reason to believe that these dudes aren't legitimately injured and couldn't mm-hmm. fight at this event. No, those wrist injuries are a bitch, man. However, <laughs> as Stephen A. Smith might say, uh, if you're a Strike Force champion who is ensured that after this event you're going to gain entry to the UFC... Doesn't it kind of make more sense for you to, to, to go in with the belt around your waist and not take the chance of suffering a loss in your final showing than it would be to show up and fight uh, in you know either Lorenz Larkin or Pat Healy in a meaningless fight that isn't really going to get you anywhere anyway? Yeah, it is really hard to blame those guys. You uh, I mean, you would like to think that nobody would do that. Nobody would agree to a fight knowing full well that they're not going to actually go through with it. And we should say for the record... Neither Gilbert Melendez nor Luke Rockhold seems like that kind of dude. No, they do not. Uh, still, though, yeah, it's hard. It'd be hard to blame them for not wanting to take either one of those fights because those fights don't really do anything for them. Either one, you know, Pat. I think the Pat Healy one maybe does a little more for for Gilbert Melendez than the Lorenz Larkin one does for Luke Rockhold. It's only a lose situation there because it's like. Even if you beat the guy and you don't beat him impressively enough, since you're favored so heavily to win, people will just be like, oh, you know, this guy's overhyped. He's not as good as we think. You know, God forbid you lose, and then you have to go into the UFC on, a, you know, a loss after, after dropping your belt there. And yeah, I don't blame those guys for not necessarily wanting to take that risk. Uh, at the same time, you know, this is your job if you agree to fight. And if you're capable of fighting, then you should fight. And the people you got to feel really bad for are the guys who are signed up to be their opponents. You know, those are the guys who they were like, okay, here, I'm going to get an opportunity. I'm going to invest some, some time and some money and some resources into a training camp to get ready for this damn thing. Uh, and then now, you know, no more fight for them. Right? That's tough, man. Yeah, and uh, just to reiterate a little bit, it seems like if you are either Gilbert Melendez or Luke Rockhold and, and you, you come into the UFC as the Strike Force champion um, without losing, 
it's not unthinkable that you might get an immediate title shot or at least be right up near the top of the list. Right. I don't know if either of those guys is going to come in and, and fight immediately for the title, but say Melendez comes in, wins one fight, you know, maybe over an Eddie Alvarez type individual, you know, he hard to make a case that he wouldn't be at the front of the line for the title shot. Same with Luke Rockhold. If he can come in and get one, uh, you know, decent win in, in that division, then, then hard to make a case that he shouldn't at least get to fight the UFC champion to, to, I guess not unify the belts because at that point the strike force belt will be a 10 pound piece of tin that that's a collector's item bronze it, use it for a doorstop, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, to the, to the second point you were talking about the, how this affects Lorenz Larkin and Pat Healy, at least it seems like Lorenz Larkin gets it. You know what I mean? He does like, get he it. He appears to have been paying attention to what has been going on in the UFC as of late, because he is, on the trash talk train at this point. And I think that that's a smart move for him because, you know, the UFC keeps saying over and over again, they like these guys that, that like to fight and they like these guys that step up and, and, and want these fights. And so for him to kind of come out and say some of the things he said about Luke Rockhold is, uh, is pretty smart because I think that that, uh, maybe makes the opens the door a little bit wider for him to eventually come to the octagon. You're right. And here's one of the things that he said uh, today on MMA junkie radio, uh, which I feel like bolsters your position that he, he gets it. Uh, says Lorenz Larkin quote, I just hate that. I felt like it was one of those things where they were just buying time and they already knew that was going to happen. It's just retarded. Even Gilbert. It's just like, come on. I just think that Rockhold doesn't want to just fight. There's no doubt. He's going to the UFC. He should have never taken the fight. I would rather him never taken the fight and me fought somebody totally different. I mean, that's a reasonable, rational perspective from Lorenz Larkin that, you know, hey, yeah, he realizes that a fight with him is a bad idea for Luke Rockhold. Just not a whole lot of upside there. Uh, and you can understand why Lorenz Larkin would feel like, hey, yeah, you're going to be hurting for people to put on this so-called champion's card anyway. Just give me somebody else if, if Luke Rockhold knows he's not going to do it. Also, worth noting, the Force champion's card we're still uh, we're still over a month out from, from that thing, right? I mean, we could still lose some more champions off of that. You got Nate Marquardt on there. You got Daniel Cormier yeah, on there. Hopefully both Nate Marquardt and, and Daniel Cormier are alone in padded rooms without sharp edges or blunt instruments of any kind. Well, you know, I think Nate Marquardt cannot afford. He's not on good enough standing with the, the Zufa family uh, to pull out of this one. He He needs to to still win some brownie points back. Cormier, however, hey, you know, lingering hand, hand issue, yeah. maybe. Hand yeah, feeling? maybe the hand isn't as good as we thought, uh, and he has to pull out. Then you're down to one champion. Strike, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to cross out the S in, uh, in the Strike Force champions? Or are you going to go with something uh, like at least more honest, like just, you know, Strike Force? Hey, it's the last one anyway. Yeah. Strike Force, we had a good run, you know. <laughs> uh, I think one of the genius things about the about Larkin saying those things that he said is that then it put uh, Rockhold in the position where he had to respond, and he did, and he said, you know, I don't duck people, I, I wouldn't duck anyone in the whole world. So now it's created this dynamic where it's like, well, shit, now these guys kind of have to fight at some point. And if you're a dude of the status of Lorenz Larkin, that's exactly what you need right now yeah. because as I think we said on a previous week, not really worried about these champions when it comes to strike force being absorbed into the UFC. But if you're a guy like Lorenz Larkin, if you're a guy like Pat Healy, yeah. 
maybe time to start laying a foundation for yourself to have some job security because clearly not everybody is going to make the cut. Yeah. And so if I'm Pat Healy, man, get on the phone, you know, <laughs> get on the phone with Ariel or somebody and, and, and just start talking shit. Yeah. You know, cause that, it, that is definitely the feel that we have going into this last strike force event that, uh, for some guys, it's kind of a, uh, a farewell tour uh, to strike fours as they move on into bigger and better things of the UFC. And to other guys, it's more of a tryout. You can understand why the dudes who are getting the tryout are, are more adamant about actually getting their chance to do it. Uh, whereas, you know, hey, hard. To, I think the thing is, you, you think about like Luke Rockhold or Gilbert Melendez with their injuries, and you ask yourself, if this fight was for a UFC title, and you know that if you pull out, they're going to give it to somebody else because they already got the posters made up or whatever. And, you know, they're just going to go ahead with the fight. Uh, so they'll give it to whoever will say yes. Would they have fought? You know, would they have pressed through these these lingering uh, yeah, that's, injuries? See, that's the thing. Anytime you see the, this word lingering, hanging around these injuries. Uh, and, you know, to, to be honest, I have no idea that like the how bad either of the injuries are. But especially with Rockhold, when you find out that it's a lingering wrist injury, like kind of seems like maybe he would have fought if it were, you know, if it were a bigger deal. Yeah. Uh, and personally, hey, man, I would love to believe nothing more than that this is a calculated and organized labor stoppage on the part of the Strike Force <laughs> fighter to just be like, hey, Showtime, you know, you kind of fucked us before when you called off this event. Now we're going to fuck you. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's obviously not the case. Yeah, no, you, you lose these me guys at just organized. Yeah, they couldn't that, get it together. To that's that. where I, you know, I want to, I want to believe a conspiracy theory just as much as anybody. But uh, if the conspiracy theory uh, relies on, you know, large scale organization on the part of MMA fighters, that's where it starts to get difficult to believe. How many fight, how many injuries, I guess, or fight cancellations do you think we are away from this thing just not happening? One. Yeah, I'd say one. Probably one if it's Cormier or uh, or or uh, Nate. Um, and man, to for talk about a guy who's got nothing to gain in his fight at this last Strike Force show. Hard to hard to put have less to gain than Daniel Cormier. Yeah, fighting uh, whoever that Dion Dion staring staring starring, starring, Dion, staring. Just mumble Dion S fighting Dion S there. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing too where. It's like if you're if you're Daniel Cormier at that point, like it's got to start fucking with your mind a little bit, right? Because you think about all the things that could go wrong and the so few things that could go right for you there. Um, and plus, what do you owe to Strike Force at this point? I mean, uh, you know, there it's Zufa, so you know you don't want to piss them off too bad, but you gotta you can't be feeling too kindly towards Showtime and that whole apparatus there now, like you mentioned. So it's like you know you're being asked to do a favor almost for people you hate. I, I can understand why, uh, why you might feel a little lingering injury coming on. All right, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll, we will move on to round number two. Uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? As long-time listeners of the podcast know, is pretty much the most self-explanatory segment on the show. So, Ben, I, I know you've got one. Why don't you go ahead and get things started with uh, Are You Fucking Kidding Me? My Are You Fucking Kidding Me This Week goes out to the universe. Wow, that is big. That's encompassing. Yes. Uh, as many of our listeners probably already know, uh, former UFC fighter and long-time MMA veteran Dennis Hallman, uh, who was cut from the UFC back in October when he failed to make weight and cited personal problems, which he later explained uh, 
were related to his wife having a drug problem and threatening to take away his kids and a lot of a lot of bad stuff going on at home that Dennis Hallman had to deal with. So fighting was not you know the top priority for him. The UFC gave him some money, sent him on his way, cut him from his contract, and then the night before Thanksgiving, his house burns to the ground in Olympia, Washington, with everything he owns inside of it. Fortunately, nobody was home at the time, not Dennis or uh, any of his four kids, uh, but everything they had gone up in flames. They're down to the clothes on their backs, uh, and this, after everything else the, the, the poor bastard is dealing with, are you fucking kidding me, universe? You gonna go and burn down Dennis Holman's fucking house after all this shit? Give him something. Leave his house alone. And think of all the awesome VHS memorabilia that man must have in there. You fucking kidding me, universe? Are you fucking kidding me, universe? You know, I did see from Loretta Hunt on Twitter that Holman was bummed that he'd lost his collection of UFC uh, programs from the events that he'd fought on. There so. you go. And I mean, he had some like... UFC 20 and 30 uh, type programs, too. By the way... You think there were programs for those events? <laughs> well, they, they might have been handouts more than programs, but okay. Uh, by the way, two listeners of the podcast, uh, Benji Raddick, fellow uh, Pacific Northwest fighter, has set up a website where you can uh, donate to, to Dennis Holman's family, help him, you know, you can send them clothes uh, or you can give them some money. Um, and I believe by the time you listen to the podcast, the link for that should be up on uh, MMAJunkie.com. So... Uh, yeah, help out a, a fellow MMA community member here. Uh, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes out to HBO Boxing. I watched part of the uh, Andre Berto versus Robert Guerrero fight over the weekend, and truthfully, you know, it was a great fight. And uh, ordinar- good. ordinarily, good. I'm not a, I'm not a, you know, I like boxing. I am perfectly content to let boxing exist as its own thing. Uh, but as I'm watching this, the, the end stages of this fight, HBO broadcaster Jim Lampley, who is a dude who is so full of hot air that I think they probably have to like tie him down to the broadcast booth just to keep him from floating away. Uh, he's a dude that used to be good and has now become a caricature of himself. He's, he's like Al Pacino in <laughs> whoa, that way. Whoa, whoa. And at the end of this fight, which was a good fight, Guerrero against Berto, Lampley goes off on this tangent about how, you know, boxing is the hardest sport in the world and it's the sweet science and no other sport in the world offers these warriors the chance to show their heart and determination and their skills. And about halfway through it, I was like, this motherfucker is just going to pretend like mixed martial arts doesn't exist. And that's when it dawned on me, the entire HBO broadcast is essentially pretending that mixed martial arts doesn't exist. They are doing this broadcast like it's the 1980s, and they are only covering the USFL. They are just (laughs) going to pretend that the NFL doesn't exist, and they're just going to, like, with straight faces, nonetheless, go out there and tell me that boxing is the only sport in the world where these great athletes can show their stuff. Are you fucking kidding me, HBO Boxing? Fucking kidding me, HBO Boxing? So that's Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week. We will be back momentarily as we get started with round number two. Round two. Chad, after about six years in the fight game and two fights in the UFC, 
bantamweight fighter Nick Denis announced on his blog that he was retiring from the sport of mixed martial arts at the tender age of 29 because he was just too worried about brain trauma and the consequences of being hit in the head for a living. Now, to me, this sounds like maybe the most reasonable thing a fighter could do, uh, especially a guy with his style who realizes he's going to have to take some hits. He's already been knocked out once and felt like he was feeling some effects from it. Uh, also, though, it makes you wonder if the most reasonable thing a fighter can do is not fight anymore, what the hell does that say about this crazy sport of ours? Yeah, no, it's it kind of, when you read stuff like this, first of all, I wholeheartedly support it. You have to if, if, uh, if you care at all about the future of Nick Denis. Uh, I wholeheartedly support his decision. And it kind of makes you think when you read this, like maybe we're paying attention to the wrong stuff most of the time. You know, we get on and we, we talk about PEDs and we talk about uh, if they're, whether or not the, the market is oversaturated and there's too many events and what it's going to be like when women come to the octagon. and you With then, their, their then, beautiful bodies holding Diaz brothers inside of them. And maybe instead of the beautiful bodies, it's the brains we should be worried <laughs> about. It kind of, I mean, we talk about these threats to the sport and then you read this and you, and you kind of feel like, oh, wait a minute. No, like perhaps the biggest threat to the sport is the fact that it's going to turn out that it's really, really bad for your brain. And dudes have been fighting each other since before we started to record history. So it's not like that is going to go away. But once you start to think about like, man, these guys are doing this and it's, and, and we don't even really understand the full effect that it has on their minds. Like perhaps that is going to be the biggest limiting factor. Yeah, I do think that the UFC does a much better job of monitoring that stuff and, uh, you know, dealing with that stuff the right way. You know, it, no one ever, like when Chuck Liddell was, was dealing with, like Chuck Liddell had been a boxer and had been dealing with the same stuff where he's starting to get knocked out easier, starting to show some of the effects of that, uh, and he wanted to continue on. He would have had no problem always finding, you know, some sleazy promoter willing to, to make a few bucks off of him. Having the UFC around to essentially say, no, that's it, we're making this decision for you, you're done, uh, probably saved Chuck Liddell some brain cells there. Uh, he, he might still be fighting, if not for that. So I think the UFC deserves some credit there. And I do think that MMA is still long-term going to prove to be safer than boxing, uh, yeah, just I because of the nature that. of the sport. Uh, but I also think, yeah, we are... I think maybe it's because we watch so much of it and it starts, we get numb to what's really happening here. And we, get, we come up with all these euphemisms, like, you know, he's rocked, you know, that kind of stuff. You and know, it, the one that I like is in professional football. I've just noticed this the past few weeks is that uh, when a dude gets hurt on get the Get your field, bell rung? Well, that's a good one, too. But, like, when a dude gets so physically injured that he cannot stand up, the announcers almost always say, oh, he's shaken up. Shaken up. He's yep. shaken up on the play. Shaken like, up on the dude, play. he's not shaken up. He cannot stand up because he got so <laughs> physically injured during the yeah. last play. Slow to get up. Yeah. Uh, and I think one of the interesting parts about this, and you're right about the UFC uh, and kind of like trying to take care of their own and protect these guys as much as they can. But, you know, this this is Nick Denis brought this up in the story you wrote about him uh, on MMA Junkie this week. And it's a thing that gets brought up about football a lot. And it's one of the both the scariest and, and most interesting parts of this sort of phenomenon is that the stuff that's injuring you is not necessarily when you get knocked out in the cage, although 
that obviously is not great for you. Yeah. But like the the place where you are accepting the most damage is in practice when you are taking these much smaller blows that may not even feel like anything to you, but they are in fact damaging your brain. Yeah. Those just kind of add up over the years. I think that too, I think is way worse in football because you'll see a guy get hit and it's like, well, he seems like he clearly has a concussion or uh, is at least pretty close there and he'll, he'll come back in the game or he'll be playing next week. I mean, if you get a concussion, you should probably not be doing anything for a couple months. And MMA is a little better about that, that guys get knocked out and we sit them down for a while. We have seen instances where dudes come back faster than they should. Uh, but that is the kind of stuff where it, it, you don't know exactly how much damage is piling up there. And you don't know what your ability to take it is because there's a genetic component to that, that who you know, develops some of like CTE and stuff like that and who doesn't. And as Nick said in the story, like the story when I talked to him that uh, the brain trauma is such that you don't know when you've had too much until it finally starts showing up, at which point it's too late. And it might yeah. take years for it to show up. And then when it does, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. You know, and he was saying the same thing about just that how we get so used to or we praise or, you know, and, and idealize like these certain virtues like in the fight game. And he was saying, you know, how people always talk about being a warrior. Mm -hmm. Oh, this guy's a warrior. That guy's a warrior. I'll never quit. And how he's like, you know, you watch a fight, and you hear Joe Rogan talking about what a warrior this guy is. You see Diego Sanchez standing there covered in his own blood at the end of the fight. And Joe Rogan is talking about, man, this guy is a warrior. Um, and you're like, okay, but at, at what cost? You know, and, and you can understand why a guy, especially a smart, you know, uh, thinking guy like Nick D D Nick Denias, who can watch that and say, you know, if that's what being a warrior is in order to have some dudes on an internet message board talk about what an awesome warrior you are, I don't know if the trade-off is necessarily worth it. I mean, that seems like a like when he explains that logic to you, you, you can't really find any holes in it. Yeah, and you know, I. Uh, it, in the last segment, I just trashed HBO Sports, so now I'm going to give them their propers. Uh, just watched the most recent edition of Real Sports. I, I love if, Real Sports. I don't know if you've seen it yet, and everybody out there in co-main event podcast listener land, if you, get the, if you have HBO and you can, you know, set your DVR or whatever because Real Sports is a great show. It is. And they did a, another, a, like an update on the sort of ongoing series that they're doing about brain injuries in football. And they... they with the college football players, right? Yeah, yeah college football players. That. And they did this thing with the researchers from Northwestern University where they're they're putting sensors on uh, the, the helmets of both like college and high school players and measuring how many hits to the head they take both in practice and I think in games and then they give them cat scans and they find out you know how much it's affecting their brain activity and on this recent one that I just watched they said I think the number was 700 that they had sort of pinpointed the fact that you can take around 700 blows total blows to the head including the like minor ones that you take in practice before they start seeing this like really noticeable decline in cognitive ability and brain function and they say that's as many as you can take in a season and then in the off season you kind of heal up and that just made me think you know in MMA first of all no real off season right. except where it is prescribed by the athletic commission also, if 700 is the total number of hits that they think these football players can take to the brain before they start to see reduced cognitive ability, like, how long do you think it takes a mixed martial arts fighter to get to 700 blows to the head just when you think about practice? Yeah. Like, a week. 
yeah. probably <laughs> because when you go out there and, and you're, you're you know if you're sparring and boxing and a lot of these camps talk about how they spar really hard and kind of take pride in it you know you're maybe getting punched in the head 50 or 100 times in one go you know what i mean like yeah you know and the thing is too that uh, as the real sports people talked about with the college players, the difference between them and the NFL is that they did not have a players association right. to look out for them financially when they really need some help afterwards. And I think, you know, that's a, kind of the same thing with mixed martial arts fighters. Like you look at a guy like Phil Baroni, you turned me on to the fight factory show on, uh, what is it? The Spanish language channel. Yeah, nu- Nuvo or something Nuvo, like that. Yeah. Uh, and I've been DVRing it and watched some over the, the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and, they kind of talk about Phil Baroni, who's now at the point where uh, they're like, you know, he's not in the best of shape and he needs fights with some money in him, you know, just to keep him afloat. But the fights with some money in him are going to be tough fights for him. And, you know, they don't know if they like his chances in that. And you see a guy like Phil Baroni. I mean, how many hits to the head has Phil Baroni taken? And he's out there still taking them because he needs the money. He doesn't have, especially if, you, if you've been fighting for 10 years, what are you going to do? You're going to walk in somewhere and say, hey, I want to, I want to work here. I don't have any job experience. Over the last decade, because I've been fighting, you know, you kind of get like trapped in this life in a lot of ways. And you can do some things within that life, maybe. Um, but a lot of guys, I think, kind of get stuck there and they keep doing it out of financial necessity. And that's one of those things that is really scary. I mean, you can see like with a guy like like Nick, who's 29, and he thinks, OK, either you're going to stay in or you're going to get out now, you know, and. To hit for him, he also, you know, he has a master's degree in biochemistry, so he maybe has a few more options than some other guys do. Uh, but that, I think, is the most terrifying thing. To think of a guy who is still fighting because he doesn't have any other choices. He doesn't, he doesn't have any other options, and so, you know, his brain shouldn't be taking these hits anymore, and he's doing it anyway. You also think, I mean, I don't, you know how I'm going to go off on doping uh, if you give me half a chance, so I'll, 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 I'll not do that here. But you also do have to think about, some dude's jacked up on testosterone or steroids or something and he clocks you in the head even if it gets changed to a no contest later or you know or people on the internet find out the dude was on testosterone and they think he's bullshit because of it you still took those hits it's not like that stuff gets wiped clean like brian stan was saying to me you know you you can only take so many hits he's like i think about it that you know after playing football being in the army uh and uh or being in the Marines and then, you know, now fighting, you know, you get, if you take some hits on a dude who is jacked up on some, some awesome chemicals, you know, that is, that's some serious bullshit he is putting you through, uh, that he doesn't need to. Right. And, you know, the other point that probably needs to be made is that modern day players in the NFL, if you play, I can't remember if it's four or five years, but as long as you, as you, you know, make a roster and play for those years, then you get this like outstanding pension package for the rest of your life. It's like you get a kind of crazy and ridiculous amount of money every month from what I understand. And that doesn't exist for fighters right now. And you would hope that, you know, at least the guys at the top end of the sport, guys who have fought for the UFC, uh, a, you hope that they're saving some of that money, and B, you hope that we get to the point where the UFC, which obviously makes tremendous amounts of money off their off the, you know, the the physical toil of these of these fighters, you know, you hope that they eventually get to the point where they set something up to provide for older guys who are retired who have suffered this damage during their fighting career. Uh, obviously, that doesn't help the much larger percentage of guys who get into mixed martial arts who are never going to fight at that level. But I mean, I just think it bears mention that you know, in other sports, because they have players' unions, because they have organizations and and associations for for the athletes. We've gotten to the point where, you know, they're going to get financial assistance, medical assistance down the road. We're not there in fighting, which 
seems like doubly scary. Yeah, I mean, you... it's not even just a financial issue, but yeah, like medical insurance. You're going to go try and buy your own insurance after you've fought for 15 years? Yeah, I don't, I don't know how great that, uh, that premium is going to be. Anyway, now that we've bummed everybody out, uh, <laughs> sorry, that's probably going to do it for our discussion of uh, your brain and your brain on fighting during round number two. And we will go ahead and stroll straight in to round number three, which starts right now. Round three. So, Ben, I kind of went after CBS college basketball analyst Seth Davis last week for the uh, stupid stuff that he said on Twitter about uh, mixed martial arts being homoerotic, which, aside from being a, a lame joke about the sport, is also, you know, homophobic and whatnot. Uh, I suppose it should be noted that Seth Davis later apologized. Probably because of your stinging rebuke. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. But he later apologized and deleted his tweets which I suppose is pretty good. I'm just not sure that once you pull the mask off and reveal the scaly alien life form underneath, <laughs> I'm not sure that you can put the mask back on after that. Or as they used to say in graduate school, that's a bell that can't be unrung. Did they say that? Can't unring that bell. Yeah, I, man. I must have been absent that day. Yeah, that I, had a, I, I had a lingering wrist injury that day. I don't find that hard to believe. Anyway, we got a uh, we got a, a, some correspondence from friend of the podcast, Danny Downs, this week about Seth Davis's comments. Uh, and in it, he expresses, I guess, that uh, those of us who are involved in the sport on a daily basis sort of forget still what a niche sport it is and how it's not mainstream and that, you know, maybe Seth Davis's opinion is... Uh, more pervasive than we would like to think. So I'm just going to read a portion of, of Danny's email now. He, he wrote, uh, in my experience, MMA is a very insular world. From competitors to promoters to journalists, I feel that most of the people involved are unable to accurately place mixed martial arts as a reach with respect to society as a whole. The sport has grown tremendously, but people in the industry exaggerate its scope. That's why we make such a big deal about forgettable movies such as Warrior and Here Comes the Boom. Uh, they want to believe that MMA is mainstream when it's not. It's still a fringe sport, misunderstood by many. You both have re repeatedly commented on how no one understands slash comprehends the sport you cover, but many others in the sport fail to realize that those, are the, those people are the rule, not the exception. While the aforementioned college basketball analyst should be chastised for his comments, the simple fact is that his view of, the MM of MMA is not that rare. And then he, he, he asked the question, so uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, come, come on. Now, I like Danny Downs managing to both basically write a, an opinion column uh, that gets read on the CME and find a not-so-subtle way to make fun of the way the questions uh, that usually make it through listener mail often work on the CME. Well Mult done, Danny Multitasking, Downs. yeah. You know, and the thing I wonder sometimes is, because he, he mentions it and we've talked about it on the show, how you dread having the conversation with some stranger or something, uh, you know, what do you do for a living? And it's especially, I think, weird in Missoula because, it, you know, it's not that big of a town. And so, uh, like, my wife and I went to do this, some medical testing for life insurance, which we are buying now that we have a, uh, a person coming into our lives who might actually care if we both died at once. Uh, so, Wait, me? Are you talking about me? 
No, but we will task you with raising our child. Okay, excellent. It's probably weird to spring this on you right now. No, it's cool. I've got almost three months in raising my own child, and I can report that she is still alive. All right. Well done. But yeah, and sitting there, and the woman is asking what what I do for a living. I'm like, I'm a sports writer. And of course, they think you write for the local paper, the Missoulian. And I say, no, you know, I write for USA Today because I don't want to have to say MMA junkie and explain what that is to her. Um, And then she naturally assumes that somehow USA Today has me as their their lone correspondent to cover the Grizz. Right. Uh, And so it's just like, all right, do I really have to explain this stuff now? And you're going to think that I'm I'm basically covering mud wrestling or something, you know, extreme wrestling, extreme, extreme wrestling. One of my mother in laws calls it. Yeah. uh, I mean, so we we get that. I also think that there's a uh, there's an age divide there on that kind of stuff. If I'm talking to someone uh, under 30, I feel a little more confident that they might at least have heard of the UFC and know what I'm talking about. So I do feel like some of that stuff is changing. Uh, I mean, as far as like how outsiders still view the sport, it still does not have that thing that, that boxing has where, you know, if you say you cover boxing, even the people who don't like it, even the people who might hate it are still just like, okay, there's something venerable about boxing. You know, it's been around forever. MMA does not have that. I think it might get there, but we're still a long way from that. Yeah, the strange thing to me about MMA, and I was trying to think of another support, another sport that that has this a similar phenomenon. But uh, the, the weird thing to me is the 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 vast disparity of opinions, and like the like some of them are very like diametrically opposed opinions that people who are not that familiar with the sport have about it. I mean, you have dudes like Seth Davis who will be like crack jokes about it's how it's homoerotic and then you will have other people who just think that it's like so unbelievably barbaric that they can't even stomach it and then you will have even other guys who just think it's boring because of the you know the grappling and wrestling we we, you know we got danny's email this week we also got another email from a guy named robbie who said that uh his problem with the sport is he keeps trying to interest his friends in it and whenever he tries to get them to watch mma and they sit down and watch it it turns out to be what he called uh, a three-round wrestling match and then his friends are like oh man this is boring where are all the knockouts and gay and barbaric and gay and barbaric i don't want to i don't want to pay for this You know, I don't want to pay to watch this. And so it's strange to me to see these like different opinions all from people who don't who aren't fans of the sport, certainly. And maybe not maybe don't have a a tremendous uh, breadth of experience to draw on in watching the support. It's the sport. It's weird that they have these like directly opposed views of what it is. And personally, I think that people who come to the sport looking for blood sport, looking for barbaric, you know, knockouts and 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 bleeding and all this stuff i bet leave pretty disappointed most of the time yeah and uh, to me I, I don't know man I, it's just weird to think that like some people think it's this like terrible barbaric thing and then like some frat boy at a party is going to tell you it's too boring he doesn't like to watch it yeah that is weird uh and you know i got a, a twitter mailbag question from sony and I, I meant to answer it in my twitter mailbag and then i forgot to write it down and uh you know, then it got buried by their questions, and I can't even remember who asked it now. So I apologize to that mystery person, whoever you are. But it was something along the lines of, like, you know, you cover MMA. Obviously, you're a fan of MMA. I mean, MMA is definitely one of those sports where anybody, I think, covering it uh, was a fan before they got paid to write about it. Probably uh, didn't get into it for the money. Yeah. At least originally. Uh, and, you know, and basically asked me, like, do you, do you really love this sport, though? I mean, do you really like it? And I will say... 
it's gotten harder to just uh, love with these, you know, or even look at with the same eyes the, the longer I've covered it. And the more of it you kind of see, it's tougher. Like, I feel like I can appreciate football in a more blissfully naive way right. uh, than I can mixed martial arts because you just see, uh, especially I think in the fight game, and this is not unique to mixed martial arts, boxing is the same thing. The way it can just kind of chew people up. You know, use them up and then and then spit them out, and all very quickly. You know how the fighter's lifespan is 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 so short, uh, and all this stuff that is is packed in there, and you see just some you know some heartbreaking, horrible stuff happen to people, and that's part of the drama of it. I mean, I think that anybody who just loves mixed martial arts without or any kind of like professional fighting, without also being like kind of sad about it sometimes, <laughs> like you're not thinking about it enough. Yeah. Like I think that's part of the enjoyable thing is that um, it can be great and terrible to people, not just like, oh my God, this you know this is a place for glory and warriors and all, and it's just awesome courage all the time. I mean, it, that stuff comes at a price. I mean, that's what what makes it meaningful in a way. Yeah, and you know, you always hear people say stuff like, "Well, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life." But I've always found like especially in journalism like if you when you work in the in the sport that you love and cover all these different sports you kind of end up loving it less like after a while because it 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 is your job and you do you know it you do get to see behind the curtain if you will and you know when you're a fan you can just kind of live in your own as Danny said insular world where you can just like here's what the sport means to me these are the people that I like who also like the sport we talk about it in our own shared language when you become like when you start working in it you get exposed to like everyone's opinions about yeah. the sport and i'm not sure that that's always positive because like you get to see these other people's opinions about the sport where the way that are just either like, you know, not the most educated opinion in the world or just like, wow, that's what you like about the sport. <laughs> Weird, man. Weird. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, though, I, I do feel like every single time I have ever had like an interaction with uh, like individual fans rather than like large groups of kind of anonymous fans on the internet. Like every right. time, like somebody on Twitter or somebody has been like in Montreal, I talked to some guys uh, who follow me on Twitter and were like, Hey, you know, we're here in the bar. If you want to have a beer, uh, every time I've ever done that situation, I've always, cause first of all, I always dread doing it because <laughs> I hate talking to people, especially strangers. Right. I'm like George Costanza in that I've never had an appointment in my life where I wanted the other guy to show up. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just a weirdo that way. But then once I sit down and start talking to him, I'm like, Oh, well, you know, these yeah. are people I would hang out with normally. Right. Like yeah, the, that's, you know, that's absolutely true. They're really that's like absolutely true. interesting, and, smart, normal people. And also, I would say as an extension of that, also true of most fighters. I Like when I sit down and talk to most fighters, I would say that I have exited that interview, like liking that guy more and having more respect for him in the vast majority of cases. There, you know, there's some cases where you talk to a guy and you come away feeling like, oh, that guy, you know, he's not that bright or he's not that interesting. But most of the time you come away being like, oh, he's he's a good guy. He's yeah. an all right guy. And then but then that's one of the things that makes it with the fighters like harder to watch or, or harder to, you know, just feel like it's sports and entertainment when he gets knocked out and you feel like, okay, I actually, actually like that guy. And, uh, you know, I talked to him and he seemed like a good dude. Uh, it's like for me with NFL players, I watch it and it's like, okay, that one, that looked like a bad hit, uh, that you might be hurting for a while after that one. 
But once they cut to commercial, it's like you stop existing for me. You know, yeah. I know that you're a real person and that you're really going to be dealing with the consequences of whatever just happened to you that left you shaken up. Uh, shaken up. <laughs> shaken up on the play. <laughs> so shaken up you could not rise to your feet. Um, I, I Intellectually, I know that, but it just doesn't have the same impact. Um, but I do think it's a, kind of a responsibility of MMA fans to to step back at times and appreciate what we're watching. That when we're talking about, oh, this guy's rocked or that was a, you know, good shot or something you know or he's dazed like that's that's real stuff happening to real people uh we see it so much that i think we kind of become numb to it and we should remember that uh you know this we're making this seem commonplace and it's not at all right yeah so thanks to danny downs and also robbie for sending us those emails that kind of made us think yeah. And also probably just that? bummed everybody out again. Yeah. So let's do Just Saying Stuff and then we'll get out of here. Just Saying Stuff, the part of the show where every week Ben and I make a statement that we are then not asked to uh, repeat or follow up or support in any way uh, with facts or opinion because we are, in fact, Just Saying Stuff. Um, this week, my Just Saying Stuff goes out to Bellator because I feel like the new Bellator uh, – rematch championship rematch clause that, that was just announced today actually when as we're recording the podcast is great news for everybody except people who fight in bellator <laughs> because at this point if you are not a one of the champions in bellator what they're telling you is in order to become the champion what you have to do is first advance through a tournament which i guess bellator is now calling the toughest tournament in sports capital letters in caps and then beat the champion, and then beat the champion again. Maybe. You might not necessarily have to beat him again. Unless they want you to. Okay. So if you either like squeak out with a win or just have a really awesome fight with him, they might just want you to do that again. So good for us, maybe bad for Bellator fighters. I'm, I'm just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying that as excited as I am about the co-main event podcast book club, and our first installment, you know, the novel by David Lee Tank Abbott. Bar Brawler. Bar Brawler. Go out and get it so you can join the club. I'm just saying I know we're going to have a lot of fun with Tank Abbott's, what I assume is a, a wild and reckless prose style. Uh, however, you and I are both writers, both yes. trained yes. in fiction, in fact. Tank Abbott has, at least according to this publishing company, written three novels. Yes. We have written zero. I'm just saying, we're going to have a lot of fun with Tank Abbott's book. I know it's going to be a good time for everybody, but presumably, he at least he would have us believe, Tank Abbott sat down and did the damn thing. Deserves some credit for that. I'm just saying. Absolutely. And I, I told you I read the, chample, the, the, the sample chapter already, and at least stylistically, in terms of how Tank wrote the book, could have been worse from what I can tell so far. <laughs> Another Chad Dundas quote that I'm sure will be put on the promotional materials, uh, as he says of the GSP Silva super fight, that's a fine fight. Now, blurb for the back of your book, Tank Abbott. Could have been a lot worse. Well, that's the show for this week. We will be back next week. I'm sure you will listen to it unless you are out of town. Uh, but for this week, I'm Chad Dundas for ESPN.com. That's been folks from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com. That's the show. We're done. We're through. We're out. No, man, take that. You, you will read it. I mean, if you, here's the thing. If you like adverbs, you will love take that. <laughs> well, I guess that is... 
can't say that I, I love adverbs, but uh, you know, what I wonder is, I'm sitting there halfway through Tim Gavin's book, and what if 150 pages, 150 pages in, what if I, 